Well, welcome to a very special edition of The Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Martian. If you remember back several years ago, maybe eight, nine, ten years ago, uh, when The Bottom Line Show was first coming on the air, we had a story that involved a, an Iranian-born pastor who had become a Christian, and he was in prison, and uh, a guy named Yusuf Nadarkhani, uh, he was in the Even Prison, which is the most horrible prison in all of Tehran, in Iran. And we prayed for him and prayed for his release and he eventually was released. And then there was another young man by the name of Saeed Abedini, who was also arrested for being a preacher, running house churches. And um, his wife uh, at the time, Nagme, uh, was a passionate warrior for him while he was uh, trying to seek his release. Today on The Bottom Line Show, we're going to hear a conversation that I had with his uh, now former wife, uh, Nagme uh, Panahi, about a book that she's written about her experience called I Didn't Survive, Emerging Whole After Deception, Persecution, and Hidden Abuse. It's ostensibly about the persecution of Christians in Iran, but it's also her story that's really remarkable and it's so incredible. We're dedicating this entire hour to it here on The Bottom Line Show. Let's get into part one of this conversation right now on the special edition of The Bottom Line. Well, today on The Bottom Line Show, we have a special guest who's going to talk about um, well, just a, a number of different issues that are very, very important, I think, in the body of Christ. But first and foremost, what does it mean when you wind up inadvertently becoming a symbol of uh, steadfast faithfulness to a relationship that turned out to be fraudulent and even abusive? Nagme Panahi is with me today here on The Bottom Line. She's written a book about her experience called I Didn't Survive, Emerging Whole After Deception, Persecution, and Hidden Abuse. There's a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Nagme Panahi, welcome to The Bottom Line Show. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Nine years ago, you were a guest on The Bottom Line Show, and we were talking about your then husband, who was in prison in Iran. Mm -hmm. He had been uh, tortured there for his faith in Christ and had kind of become mm -hmm. a symbol of the persecuted church, especially for people from the Middle East who are born into theocracies and don't necessarily have, you know, there were a lot of safe Sahid signs everywhere, and 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 we we knew that story. It was shocking for us to then hear once he was finally released that you were coming forward and saying, "Okay, now I need to tell you what's really going on here." Um, I I really don't know where to begin, so let's start with where you are right now. I that I think that's a, a a fair question to ask. How do you describe your relationship with the Lord, with the church? You know, based on you know looking back over the past decade or so, uh, how do you describe your your spiritual walk right now? Um, I would say it's, I'm at a very good place in terms mm -hmm. of, uh, through all the things that I've walked through, I've found, uh, I've realized my weakness and dependency on Christ. And so in, in a way I'm in a good place, meaning I, as Paul said, I don't feel very strong, but, um, I've, I am very dependent on my time with God and being reading scripture, prayer, throughout the day and realizing that I'm very fragile. If God doesn't hold me up, sure. if God doesn't give me mental health, emotional support, anything if it's physical, being able to walk, breathe. I've realized that. So I'm in a very good place with the Lord. I am still, my number one passion is evangelism and missions. That's what mm -hmm. got me to Iran. Mm -hmm. I'm still very involved um, with that. Um, Serve thousands of people in Iran. Afghanistan has exploded in the last couple of years. Um, we're uh, doing some church plants in Iraq and some open doors in Syria Turkey. So very involved in the Middle East as God's, as Iran seems to be involved in all these uh, countries with terrorism, God is using Iranian Christians to plant churches in the Middle East and reach Muslims in the Middle East for Christ. I think that's fantastic. Now your background is from the Middle East. Is that original yes, home for yes. you? Okay. I was born into, I was born into a Muslim family. So I, mm -hmm. uh, as you said, and, and, uh, those countries, uh, Christians are targets, um, but especially if you were born Muslim, a conversion is considered right. a crime punishable by death. Interesting. And, and that's hard for us as Americans to understand, because when you've got the theocracy and now you've got these religious courts, basically the Sharia law says this is apostasy you should be put to death yes. where we can't fathom that. I mean, if I, as a, as a, an American man born here and I have mm -hmm. three uh, biological children, my wife has three of her own. We've got a nice little blended family. If any one of our kids wanted to convert to Islam, they would not be taken to the U S Supreme court and then ordered to be killed. I mean, <laughs> that, that, nope, that's that basically happen. it. That's yeah. basically what happens in the middle East. Uh, anywhere Islam has, is, has, is the majority 
and a lot, every single country that Islam is the law of the land or, you know, or has the majority, if you convert uh, into any other religion, especially Christianity is, is considered, I mean, there's verses in the Quran says, you know, kill the Christians and Jews wherever you find them. So mm. Christians are hunted down, especially if, like you said, it would be, it's mind blowing if someone here in the US, for example, decided not to be a Christian anymore and wanted to be, let's say, an atheist or follow Islam, that we would actually kill them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we would yeah. actually give them the death penalty. That's what's happening in the Middle East right now. It's incredible. Nagmeg Panahi uh, is my <laughs> guest today here on The Bottom Line. See, and the, I have to admit, part of the reason why it's tough for me to get to your your last name right now is because I still want to refer to your married name. Abedini. And, yeah, but, <laughs> it's yeah, okay. The, yeah, and, and I realized that the next question, of course, is you're born in Iran, you're born into a theocracy, you're assumed a Muslim at birth. How did you come to faith in Christ? Yeah, actually, my full last name, we had a long last name before we became U.S. citizens. Uh, my full last name is Nagme Shariat Panahi. Shariat is the Islamic law. Ooh. Panahi means protector. So or my last name meant protector of the Islamic law. And so wow. my, <laughs> yes. <laughs> so my dad really prided himself on that last name, meaning that we could try um basically, you know, our bloodline went to, all the way down to the prophet of Islam, Muhammad. And in hmm. uh Shia Muslims, especially, there's something called Sayyid where people pay alms, they give a t- fifth of their income as like when you have the prophet's bloodline you're part of his descendants then you're considered somehow holy so my dad really um really prided that we came from the lineage of muhammad the founder of islam and um he was a very strong muslim prayed his prayer fasted and was very um very much uh a, a very much uh, a strong strong muslim really believed he believed that islam was the solution to the world's problem and as a matter of fact he believed that so much he was part of bringing the islamic revolution to iran in 1979 Interesting. so he he really thought you know uh, iran was getting corrupt you know women were wearing short skirts tank top there there was mm-hmm. drinking there was clubs there was singing and also the poverty, he thought, you know, if Iran became an Islamic government, uh, the poverty would be addressed, the uh, social corruption, all that would be addressed. And on the other hand, uh, my mom was in the king's army, and she was supposed to, she was being paid to actually prevent the revolution from happening. And she had a different mindset than my dad. She was very hesitant about an Islamic revolution, and she did consider what that would mean for women's issues, um, knowing mm-hmm. that, you know, um, Islam is not very friendly towards women. So she was right. very hesitant about it. So growing up, that was kind of in our household was my dad really think, believing that uh, Islamic Republic would solve every problem. And my mom thinking, wait a minute, this could be really bad. As we know, Islamic uh, revolution happened with Khomeini coming into the country. And my sa- dad soon realized that it was a bad idea. Um, mm. he he saw what was happening um two main things happened that really made my dad see one was his uh 13 14 year old brother got arrested by the islamic government mm. because he was opposing it and when he turned 18 they called uh, my uh, grandma and said your brother has been freed which my dad's brother or your your son has been freed which is my dad's brother and my grandma went to get my uncle uh, from prison and they had killed him and they handed mm. her, uh, her, his belongings. And oh. so my dad realized this was like a 13, 14 year old boy who didn't know what he was doing. And for them to wait until he was 18 and kill him in such a bad, such a way. And, and just, so he realized soon how, um, uh, horrible, how, um, evil the government was. And then with the war, he saw the devastation of the war. Iran entered into an eight-year war with Iraq, and they were brainwashing my brother at that time. He was seven and eight to join the jihad and go to war and die in the holy war. And my dad couldn't say anything about it. The government had complete, where it was completely brainwashing little boys. And my brother was convinced that he wanted to go to war and die in war and go to heaven. So my dad soon Mm. realized like, this is, this is actually bad. It's affecting my family. My brother Mm -hmm. got killed. Now my son is going to get killed. So that's, that's what brought us to America. My dad pretty much realized, wow, the Islamic revolution was a bad idea. 
Did he run ahead of did he run ahead of it or were they aware that he was feeling a little more sympathetic against the revolution and kind of got forced out? He was uh, he because he was such a strong Muslim and it was an Islamic revolution. Um, they wanted to actually give him a position in the government, like um, like the minister of communication or something like that, because he had studied satellite. He had gotten his master's in engineering and mm-hmm. he was a very smart guy. But my dad, because of all this stuff and seeing how easily people got promoted and then were killed on suspicion of, you know, being a spy or whatever, yeah. he realized it's not a stable position. So he didn't accept it. But he was highly respected by uh, the community because of his strong belief in Islam. So when he decided to go, it wasn't uh, necessarily that the Iranian government, um, uh, he necessarily rose up against the government and he just, you know, a lot of actually at that time, a lot of people were leaving to give their children a better education, a better future. So Mm -hmm. no, uh, because even after he left, he would go back to Iran and uh, visit, you know, he had a, he had started a few companies and they respected him until, you know, he became a Christian uh, mm-hmm. years later, about a decade later wow. um, after coming to America. So, yeah, and I explain in my book that soon after he became a Christian in America, he um, uh, tried to smuggle some Bibles into Iran. And he thought, you know, no one's going to search me. I'm known as this religious, strong right. Muslim and in my book, I describe it where they did search him and God really did a miracle where he was able to take the Bibles into the country. But that's a wonderful story. So, yeah, it took about 10 years after me and my twin brother's conversion before my parents both accepted Christ. Wow. Well, I want to get into that on the other side of this break, but this is a fascinating testimony and you're hearing it firsthand. I mean, obviously you can read the book by Nagme Panahi. The book is called I Didn't Survive, Emerging Whole After Deception, Persecution and Hidden Abuse fascinating background to her story and how she came to the United States. On the other side of this break, we'll get into that conversion experience. And also uh, then, uh, of course, the kind of reverse, if you will, evangelism going back from the Midwest into Iran and how that uh, put her life in a whole different dimension as well. Mm -hmm. More of this conversation coming up next as the bottom line continues. You can protect against market volatility without investing all your money into bonds. Wilson Financial has simply better alternatives. The last 12 months, there has been almost $1.7 trillion invested in investment-grade bonds. This move to safety locks up money for a long time of guaranteed low returns. Why? Market volatility. Well, my comment is why go with low earnings for a long time when you can get great earnings with a solid real estate-backed investment paying you 6% over the next three years. After three years, you can invest in another option, or you can do what most of our investors do and reinvest in another one of our new exclusive 6% accounts. This strategy gives you the best of both options without settling for many years of low returns. Our 3D Money 6% account pays you great interest while you're not subjecting yourself to market volatility. Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970, or visit kbrightradio.com slash Wilson Financial and ask about Dennis Wilson's exclusive real estate-backed 6% investment account. Wilson Financial Services, for simply better alternatives. Nagme Panahi is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. I Didn't Survive is the name of the book. And it, obviously, we're having this conversation. If you're watching us on myhopenow.com, you can see that Nagme is very much with us. I mean, so the idea, I Didn't Survive, is a very provocative title. The subtitle, <laughs> Emerging Whole After Deception, Persecution, and Hidden Abuse, and uh, with a special focus on the persecution of Christians in Iran. Uh, the book is up at thebottomlineshow.com. Before the break, Nagbe, you mentioned about how your father wound up having to escape the revolution, come to the, the Midwest. How did you have family here or friends or how did you wind up where you wound up in the U.S.? Yeah, my my dad came from a pretty wealthy family. And so he had actually gotten his master's degree at Oregon State University okay. before he went to Iran and married my mom. All of his brothers were educated here. His sisters were educated and went back to Iran and got married. So he had some family here and we landed in San Jose. And soon after we landed is when my brother had a vision of Jesus and my brother, who currently has a, he got his doctorate degree in quantum physics, nice. very, ma- very mathematical, was uh-huh. crying, which grabbed my attention because mm-hmm. I had not seen my brother cry. 
he was very uh, intellectual, always thinking, but not a lot of emotion. Mm -hmm. And so when he came crying to me and said, I found the God we've been looking for, his name is Jesus. I was very moved because he was my twin. I had not seen that before. We'd grown up in war and we talked about God, who God is, why he would do this, but I hadn't seen him this emotional. And so when he came and said, you know, the conversations we'd had about God, he said, I found him. His name is Jesus. I was very shocked being having been raised in an Islamic revolution. We'd never heard about Jesus. Mm-hmm. It was all about the war and the Islamic revolution and being taught the Quran. It wasn't a topic that came up. And so um, that that kind of put us on a journey of finding out who Jesus was, got Bibles, got uh, someone led us to Christ. Actually, there was a pool in that neighborhood, a community pool. We got baptized. Nice. And that's where our journey started. We thought our parents would be ex- as excited as we were, and they were very angry. Mm-hmm. And my dad, of course, being a, a very strong Muslim, was very angry. He wanted yes. to even move us back to Iran hmm. into the war. Uh, my mom was not as a strong Muslim. She considered herself Muslim, but she was accusing us for making a prophet God. And she was Mm. like, you know, that was her, the reason she was so angry at us. You're making Jesus God. Why are you saying that? So they took away our Bible. Mm. uh, And it was a new Psalm New Testament Bible, because I remember reading up to Psalm two, where in Psalm two, it says today, I've begotten you ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance. And Mm. that's the verse I memorized until probably 17, 18. When I went to college, I probably got my Bible. I got a Bible, but up, up until that point, my parents would not allow us. Uh, they took away our Bible. So I remember that verse. It just stuck to me because um, even though those verses are about Jesus, I thought, oh, today I've been begotten. I'm his mm-hmm. daughter. Right, right. And so I kept asking him for the nations. I kept asking God, I want to see nations get saved, especially Muslim nations, especially Iran, the country I was born in. And so those were my prayers for many, many years, probably for a few decades. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then and then the story of Nagme or Panahi uh, takes an interesting turn because obviously now you're exposed to scripture. You're, you have a chance to get a little more fellowship. Your parents eventually do come around, or at least your dad comes around yes, to faith in Christ. Yeah, both of them. Fantastic. And dad had this idea and had had this idea, you mentioned in our opening segment, about smuggling Bibles back into Iran. I mean, where were you and your brother in this part of the connection too? Was kind of a family business at this point? No, no. We, uh, he kept, we were basically in the U S he kept going back and forth because of the businesses he had started Mm -hmm. and he was a very respected Muslim. So no one ever searched his luggage. And he thought uh, when me and my brother graduate from college university, he, both my parents were, were very excited to be followers of Christ. They wanted to be baptized and on and within months of that, my dad and mom decided to take Bibles back to Iran. And so my dad thought, oh, you know, I've gone to Iran a couple times a year. No one ever searches me. I get the, the respect of the government. I the Muslims. I'm a she I'm a I'm a prof I'm related to the Prophet Muhammad. I can easily take Bibles and no one has ever searched my luggage. So he they packed um their suitcases, you know, full of stuff, but also Bibles. As they were going through customs, me and my brother were in the States. My brother was studying for his master and then doctorate in Chicago. I was, uh, I'd taken a, a year off to kind of seek God. And so I was in the States uh, right after college and they called me from Iran. I guess what had happened was one of my uncles had found out they had become Christians and had notified the authorities that mm. my dad might have something. Mm-hmm. So as soon as they got off the plane, they were separated from the rest of the passengers. They were asked questions, interrogated, and then they separated their luggage and start searching them. So mm-hmm. they dumped out all the they dumped out the suitcase. Um, they, my parents didn't see anything. They didn't see anything. I mean, they searched through everything. They completely dumped out the suitcase. My parents got to their apartment and called me and said, you know, can you search our house? where could we've left the Bibles? Like they were happy because if they would have been caught, they would have been uh, at that time, like I, like with the, a lot of the things that was happening in that time, they would have 
been arrested, even possibly con convicted, you know, death penalty and things like that. They were excited because they that hadn't happened, but they were sad because they had tried to bring it like dozens of Bibles to give to our relatives. So I searched the house. I couldn't find anything. They had, they got to the apartment, they opened their suitcase. Uh, you know, after they called me, they opened their suitcase to look for their pajama, you know, just go to bed. And they found all the Bibles right there. And oh so my. God, wow. God, God had hidden, you know, my mom called back. She said, I think God hid it from us from seeing the Bibles too, because we might've freaked out or something. Right. But yeah. All the Bibles were there. They passed out Bibles to aunts, uncles, cousins. Oh, what a <laughs> beautiful after story. My yeah, soon after my parents' conversion, my 80-some-year-old grandma became a believer. Mm. We had we had um, aunts, uncles. We had about 50 family members that all became followers of Christ within a few years after my parents. Wow, how ama I mean, amazing story. Nagme Pan Panahi is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. I mean, you talk about your testimony, and people will say, isn't this amazing? You know, you and your brother, kind of first generation, kind of gets the ball rolling. But to see how God restored and redeemed members of your family who have that direct connection bloodline wise to the mm -hmm. prophet Muhammad. I mean, it's just, it's, it, it, it should be a lesson for all of us here. I mean, that no one's too far away from the grace of God, you know, and with the heart that's receptive and, and by receiving yes. the gift of faith and the gift of salvation. And I know that fuels your mm -hmm. ministry. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be come back more of this conversation because of course the, the, the real reason that uh, unfortunately uh, not came to prominence is the fact that she kind of became a, an international spokeswoman for uh, an American pastor who was jailed and was being persecuted for his faith in Christ. And once he came out, there was more to that story that we really needed to hear, but it was uncomfortable to hear. We're going to talk mm -hmm. about that coming up next as The Bottom Line continues. Welcome back to this special edition of The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. Uh, we are at the midpoint of my conversation with my special guest today, Nagbe Panahi. And uh, she's the author of a book called I Didn't Survive, Emerging Whole After Deception, Persecution, and Hidden Abuse. Uh, she's an advocate for uh, those Christians who are being persecuted the world over. At the same time, she also has a story of being abused, being in an abusive marriage, and having to deal with the, uh, the what, what surrounded that in terms of the fact that her then husband, a guy by the name of Saeed Abedini, born in Iran, kind of a radical Muslim, who had a radical transformation to become a Christian, and then after moving to the U.S., starting a family, he felt called back to starting house churches in Iran where he was arrested, put in the most horrific prison you could ever imagine, the even prison in Tehran. That's where they put the most hardened criminals and his crime was being a pastor. But it was during that final year when he was in prison before his release that Nagme went through just her own personal torture of coming to the realization and the revelation that she had been abused by him in their marriage physically, emotionally, spiritually, that uh, once he had access to communication with her from prison and he saw her on the news uh, pleading for his release, he became insanely jealous of what she was doing. And by the time his release came, even people who she considered to be trusted friends in the Christian community wound up uh, becoming adversaries. And she wound up filing for divorce. None of us really understood what was going on back in 2016 when this all went down. But now she's written this book where she bears it all. And she shares her whole story. And I think it's a very important story to have been told. And I'm grateful that she did it. It's about 300 pages. And it's, a, it's an, just an amazing, amazing um, turn of events. By the way, the book was co-authored by a person called Eugene Bach, and that's a pseudonym for a member of the Chinese underground church who is telling the story uh, with in-depth and insight. We do have a copy of this book we're giving away today, and I, I would encourage you to give us a call because the story is so incredible. It's a very, has a very positive turn at the end in terms of how God is using Nagme, he's healing her wounds, healing her family. Um, her husband has moved on. She's divorced now and is not, she's just literally, you know, part of the bride of Christ. But I'm so inspired by her words and uh, knowing what it's like to have a family member in her situation like that who'd been abused. And uh, it's just, it's, it's really incredible. 800-227-5278 is the number to call. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. 
We have one copy of Nagbe Abedini Panahi's book called I Didn't Survive, and meaning that she, the physical her, the person she thought she was in Christ, has now basically been killed. But the good news is the new Nagme, who is emerging, is more real, more in love with Jesus, and more sold out to not only uh, helping people who've been victimized by church abuse, but also in marital abuse, but also people who are in parts of the world where they're surviving horrific persecution, and she is an advocate for them. This is an amazing book. I Didn't Survive by Nagme Abedini Panahi, 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line and get your name in the drawing for the one copy of Nagme's book that we are giving away today here on the program. We'll take a quick break and when we come back, more of this conversation in just a moment as the bottom line continues. Stephanie Kovar understands that personal injury help is a uniquely Christian concept. Christians sometimes balk at using a personal injury attorney after an accident, but Paul said that our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. When you've been injured, it's important that the responsible party makes your temple well again. And the idea of restitution for lost wages and medical care comes from Exodus 21 and 22, where God outlines the concept of consequences and restitution. That biblical concept says that a person liable for injuring another must replace what is lost as a matter of justice. Sometimes being made whole means being compensated, and Stephanie Cover will fight for your wholeness because it is the Christian thing to do. And she is refreshingly honest. So if she feels like she's not the right attorney or that there is no case, she'll be upfront with you about it. If you've been in an accident, find out at no cost if Stephanie can help you by going to kbrightradio.com slash C-O-V-E-R. Nagbe Panahi is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. She has the most interesting title for her biography because it obviously she's here and yet she calls the book i didn't survive and when i looked at that at first i went wait a minute but you did survive you're here you're thriving you have this ministry to christians in the persecuted church but then i read the subtitle and got into the book and went okay now i get it emerging whole after deception persecution and hidden abuse we have a link for the book up at the bottomlineshow.com anyone who's anyone in christianity knows that 10 years ago nagme became kind of the face of what it meant for people who would readily identify with a family that has a Middle Eastern connection, that was working ardently to uh, bring the word of God and preach the gospel to places like Iran. And then we were hearing about Yusuf Narakani and Saeed Abedini mm-hmm. and these guys who were white. Who yes. Were, yeah. I mean, who were, who were, you know, in uh, Yusuf's case, the fact that what was he mm-hmm. 16 when he converted to, to, to faith in Christ and he's been in prison since he was released. I mean, from, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's horrible to think about, you know, our brothers and sisters in Christ going into these places, going into all the world and preaching the gospel and facing real persecution. And yet there was another side. To, how did you and Saeed meet? I mean, I got, let, let's just start there and, and, and please fill in the gaps as you feel led. Yeah, I, my number one passion, as I said, growing up has been evangelism and missions. Yeah. Uh, reached to the um, refugee community here locally, always. Mm-hmm trying to share the gospel with Muslims. So right after September, uh, well, actually before God really called me to go back to Iran, and I didn't know why, but I ended up leaving for Iran uh, two months after September 11 on an em- empty airplane flying into the mm. Middle East. Mm. I didn't know that at that time, God was sending me at the verge of a revival. Wow. Uh, Iran had been um, prominently Muslim for 1400 years. Mm-hmm. Of course, Iran being Persia before that was very much, there's a lot of biblical history with Persia in the Old Testament and New Testament. But for 1400 years, Islam had taken over. We didn't see much conversions. There was no, there was really no uh, Christian movement of any kind until when I went back in the early 2000s, that's when God really sent me in in the middle of a revival. And I got to see thousands of Muslims become Christians. Uh, our house church movement, me and Saeed, I met Saeed inside of Iran. He was a very charismatic young man who mm-hmm. seemed to have the same passion of evangelism as I did. And I was very attracted to that. I hadn't seen someone as passionate for evangelism as I was, and he seemed so much more so and it, uh, that that's what attracted me to him. And so we started house churches and it be- quickly became one of the largest house church movements in Iran. Within two years, um, 
there was we had planted th- uh, uh, house churches in 33 cities. Wow. <clears throat> and it was all people our age and younger. Mm-hmm. It was all yeah. college students. And so that's how I met Said, and uh, we were both continually arrested and detained and not put in prison, but in jail and detention. Uh, And it got worse and worse until we decided it's probably best for the house churches if we left, because them associating with us was putting them in danger. Right. And so we decided to leave. Said had never been to America. You know, we got a visa for him through our marriage. And came to America. And then as people remember the story, he went back in 2012 and was arrested. And of course, there's more to the story. I'm fast forwarding, but basically came to America. We had our two kids. And then he went back in 2012. And uh, that's when I kind of, I prayed and fasted for about six months Mm. uh, for him to get out. Of course, I've been raised in Boise, Idaho most of my life. <laughs> Don't have any connections with anyone. And I thought, how am I going to get my husband out one of, uh, out of one of the worst prisons in the world? Yeah. And <clears throat> one of the worst governments in the world that doesn't listen to anyone, doesn't care for anyone. And I just prayed and fasted. And he was arrested, I think, June of 2012. He was put in prison. He was under house arrest for a while, but... Uh, he was put in prison in September and by uh, end of October, right around Thanksgiving, I went to media with it. And my first media interview was with Hannity mm-hmm. of Fox news. And it went viral after that. And uh, it, uh, as you know, I, I just want to share this as a young girl, I had prayed that God would um, <clears throat> give me the nations as my inheritance. And right. really looking back those years, God gave me the desires of my heart as an evangelist. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I got to sit before Obama. I got to sit before Donald Trump. I got to um, share the gospel with hundreds of millions of people. I was on BBC, BBC Farsi, which tens of millions mm-hmm. of Iranians watched mm-hmm. as I shared the gospel. To this day, I still have people from Iran messaging me saying they became Christians because they saw me on Iranian TV. And uh, even even Iranian national TV, when they were criticizing me for having become a Christian, it really got a lot of the people thinking, oh, I didn't think you could become a Christian once you're mm-hmm. Muslim. And so, right. uh, yeah, so God gave me the desire of my heart. I sat before kings and the mm. story got really big. Uh, one of my most emotional times was when, when I was at the United Nations in Geneva and I got to share the gospel there. And oh, beautiful. as all these nations heard the gospel in their language, you know, I, God reminded me of the prayer I had prayed as a young girl. Mm-hmm. Wow. So, and God, uh, yeah, God answered that prayer way well, exceedingly abundantly, far beyond what you could ever ask or imagine. Yes. Incredible. And a way a wider audience. I would have, you know, never thought... It's, uh, you know, in Iran, I'd seen thousands of Muslims become Christians, but through the advocacy for Said, it really got to sit, sit before kings and governments and share the gospel, but also got to uh, share the gospel with millions of Iranians. I hadn't had that platform before. So mm. God really used it as a platform for the gospel. And as you said, a platform to call out the persecution of Christians by the Iranian government, call out the Iranian government and bring attention to the plight of the persecuted Christians uh, across the world, but especially in the Middle East. Incredible testimony from Nagme Panahi today here on The Bottom Line. She's the author of the book, I Didn't Survive, Emerging Whole After Deception, Persecution, and Hidden Abuse. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com, and I'm just getting chills, uh, Nagme, thinking about all of the different experiences that you have and how the, the wild range of emotions, I'm sure, that was going through your mind, and yet... The, the in the middle of all this, in the midst of this, knowing that you and Saeed had been brought together by a mutual passion for sharing the gospel, there was a secret you were holding on to. And we didn't yeah. know. You know, I mean, it was, it was it was hard. Can you describe what that was like to say, gosh, all these people want to hear what I have to say, but at the same time, there's something else that's, a, it, was it very apparent to you at the time, or was it something you kind of kept pushing away saying, that's not that bad, it's not that bad, the gospel's more important? Yeah, well, I mean, when I first met Said, there was no physical abuse. Physical abuse started a year into our marriage, and okay. I knew it, there was definitely, as I explained in my book, some things that were hard, but there was such an excitement with the revival 
and seeing all these Muslims become Christians. And our, we were so busy with ministry that I just kept pushing it back. Mm-hmm. Uh, when Saeed went to prison, I wouldn't have said I was being abused. I just thought I have a really hard marriage. Um, and uh, yeah, and I, in my book, I describe a lot of what happened, but uh, it wasn't, and, and early on in his imprisonment, he was writing these amazing letters from prison. My dad got to visit him in prison and mm-hmm. there was change. So part of me was like, oh, even though I had a hard marriage, this is a new man. Our marriage yeah. is going to be mm-hmm. amazing when he gets out. Right. So about a year before he got out, so uh, he he was uh, he was under house arrest for six months and in prison for three and a, uh, three and a half. So altogether four years, he was gone. For uh, about a year, right before he was released, he got a smartphone inside the Iranian prison with internet and everything. Wow. So he was kind of watching his fame he was watching everything and i think that really uh the ptsd from prison the paranoia but also the pride of now i'm a celebrity christian Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. really in addition to that yes he was abusive i didn't i wouldn't have put that word on it but before prison he was not he was abusive and later i found out he had been cheating with other Mm. women throughout our marriage Mm. And I didn't, I had decided not to see that in our marriage. I decided not to believe anyone else and just trust him. But um, so his, his, from inside the prison, I was expecting as everyone was how uh, he would be so proud of me. Like you did so good. You're, you got the whole world involved right. in getting me Oh out. my gosh. Yes. I mean, I had like, we had a family who had a Marine inside the Iranian prison. They, that Marine had been inside the Iranian prison for years and they said, how did how did you bring this to light? Like the the at that time the Obama administration did not want to bring this to light because we were as you remember there was we're sp- trying to make a nuclear deal with Iran right and so uh, everyone was shocked how there was so much pressure that even Obama flew to Boise and we he was able to come out he had almost a ten year sentence he got out after three and a half years wow so. I was expecting him to say, good job, you know, and instead he was like, you're Jezebel, you're this, you're worthless. And I couldn't understand why. Uh, and later I realized that, you know, abusers want to control their, uh, the the person. And mm-hmm. if he was seeing confidence in me and he needed to crush it so he could still control me. Mm-hmm. So after his very uh, harsh and abusive behavior from prison, and threats that he was going to come out, he was going to divorce me. I was only famous because of my Abedini last name, and um, that you know I was worthless. You know, it was because of him. People were clapping for me, not because of me, but because of Said. So he was just very. It was very confusing because in my mind, I'm trying to get him out. Why is he saying things like that? So I finally right. shared with a with a pastor, Doctor David Chadwick, um, at a. I was speaking at a his church, which was a mega church in uh, North Carolina. And I told him, I said, I don't understand why Saeed is sending me these messages. And I think I showed him some of the Skype messages I was getting. Mm -hmm. And he said, you know what? I'm not just a pastor. I have a doctorate in psychology and you're an abused wife. So actually the news of the abuse came out before Saeed got out. So Mm. what happened was I, then I Googled abuse. I realized what I had been under. I sent an email to a group of friends saying, I think I've been an abused wife. This is our marriage had been filled with porn addiction and sexual mm. abuse. Mm-hmm. So I shared it and I I was traveling back from North Carolina. I landed in Boise and I literally had every media calling me. Um, wow. And the, the news had gotten to the media and uh, it had exploded all over the uh, the media. And so... Uh, and that's when my world started com- crumbling down. A lot of people accused me for people still think I, so I came out of prison and I talked about the abuse then, but it actually came out months and months before mm. uh, people accused me, you know, you're throwing him under the bus because right. you moved on with another person, which is not true. I mean, uh, he got released in 2016. It's like seven years, I think, mm-hmm. uh, six years, uh, seven years. And I still, to this day, haven't dated anyone, haven't had focused on my, so if I had someone else, I should be probably married by now. Right. Yeah. (laughs) So I got a lot of accusations. A lot of stones got thrown at me because their Christian hero, uh, martyr, pastor, you know, persecuted pastor was being questioned as being abusive. And I, I, I think it really brought to light that as Christians, we really want idols. We really want spotless leaders and we get very Mm. angry when they're not. 
Um, and so I got thrown all the stones and it was very traumatic because the Christian community <clears throat> hundreds of millions of Christians were my supporters and they turned on me. So, mm. um, yep. And that's actually, I met one of my very best friends through this journey. Uh, her name's Miriam Ibrahim. She was on death row. Oh, in yes. Sudan. Mm -hmm. She was on death row in Sudan. We met when she just got out of Sudan. She had her baby Maya in prison. Right. I remember. Mm -hmm. And uh, after, you know, Saeed got out of prison and he divorced me again, like I didn't divorce him. Interesting. People, people mm. actually get confused because they're yeah. like, well, he got out, you accused him of, of abuse and then you divorced him. No, I mm. actually didn't. <laughs> I drew boundaries. My only boundary to Saeed when he was still inside the prison was if you can't be nice to me, don't call me. And he didn't call me ever again. He wow. actually, it took a court order three months after he was released to get me his phone number so we could talk about children. Mm. Um, he called, when he got out of prison, he called Franklin Graham. He called Jay Sekulow. He called mm -hmm. everyone but me. Um, so that was my only boundary to him. Like, hey, you have to be nice to me. And he moved on. He pretty much came out and filed for divorce. So uh, that was very heartbreaking. But Miriam Ibrahim, after you know, Saeed divorced me, then her stuff came out that she was in an abusive marriage. Mm -hmm. uh, but everyone who helped get her out of the Sudanese prison when she was on death row because of apostasy laws then um, didn't want to touch her because she was, uh, you know, of course, talking about uh, abusive marriage is very yucky subject. Mm -hmm. No one wants yeah. to talk about it. No one wants to touch it. Mm -hmm. So she felt like uh, she said her experience in an abusive marriage was worse than prison. She said mm -hmm. it was and it was shocking to her that her, her the Christian community that had brought her out of the Sudanese prison uh, all of a sudden she became like a leper. No one wanted to touch her. So that was heartbreaking, but we became really good friends through this ordeal together. So, well, well you both have, I mean, similar, uh, but obviously unique testimonies and uh, the, the fact that you have spoken candidly and truthfully, I mean, these are, I, I don't hear vengeance. I don't hear any venom in what you're talking. You're sharing very candidly and factually, mm -hmm. uh, Nagmi uh, Panahi, what you went through. I mean, and, and I know there's no vengeance. No, yeah. I pray for him. I pray that he would make it right. He has moved on uh, pretty much a year after he divorced me, moved to Turkey is living with a single mom. He has a, I just learned he has a two-year-old daughter <laughs> Wow. from that, from that living situation, of course, mm -hmm. not married. And um, I pray for him. I mm -hmm. uh, pray that whatever lies and self-deception he's in, he's, he can break through and you know, lead a life that glorifies God, but amen. Amen. Amazing discussion here on the bottom line show. I'm Roger Marsh. And the book we're talking about is written by my guest, Nagme Abedini Panahi. Uh, the book is called, I didn't survive emerging whole after deception, persecution, and hidden abuse. We're giving away a copy today at 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278. is the number to get you through to the bottom line more of this so actually the conclusion of this conversation coming up next as the bottom line continues welcome back to the special edition of the bottom line show i'm roger marsh dogme abedini panahi is my guest we're talking about her powerful book i didn't survive emerging whole after deception persecution and hidden abuse it's a book ostensibly about persecution of christians in iran but also surviving uh, the marital situation that she did as well we're giving away a copy of the book. More information on that at the end of our conversation. Now let's get back into the conclusion on today's special edition of The Bottom Line. See how God's bringing all this into the light now, isn't it? I mean, over the past 10 years, I, I remember hearing with shock about Ravi Zacharias and thinking, oh, good God, what's happening here? And yet it's amazing how as the Lord's return draws nigh, he's letting yes. things bubble to the surface. And it's just- That's what I want to say. Exactly. Because people were upset that there was a twist in the story, mm -hmm. the same way with Ravi and others. And God is the one who's writing our story. So there's a reason, as you said, in these last days, God yes. is allowing things to come to light. And we don't, no one liked it, liked my ending. Who likes the ending of being divorced? And then he moves on, has another family. I'm here alone raising the kids. Like who likes mm -hmm. that ending? But God was exposing something else. We yes. thought it was about Christian persecution, which it was. Mm -hmm. But why would God open my eyes at a time where the story had gotten so big? So I agree with you as, as these last days, uh, you know, Hebrews five, it says, you know, be mature Christians eating meat. And then it says mm -hmm. uh, who through practice have trained their senses to distinguish between good and evil. That's what he calls 
uh, in Hebrews, it says mature Christians is who through practice have trained their senses to distinguish between good and evil. If good and evil is so obvious, why should we need training to distinguish? Because it's hard to distinguish when it has the cloak of Christianity. Mm, boy, that's for yeah. sure. And that cloak is so deceptive because if God's natural law is written on the hearts of everyone, we as Christians with that pure in heart would say, I can see this. I can, it's, it's plain as day and I can see it. I don't like it if it's you know, untruth that's being told or someone trying to mix it up, but we should have the discernment. And God gave you that discernment a long time ago. And I, I'm so grateful that you're still walking in that truth. Were you ever tempted? Not me uh, to to basically say this is it. I mean, the Christian community is turning on me. Uh, I've I've heard uh, you know the, the the Franklin Grahams of this world are saying, hey, wait a minute, you know, don't bash this guy in public because uh, he's a hero to a lot of people. And you're saying, but wait, that's not true. That's not that's not right. Were you ever tempted to just say, forget it, this Christianity isn't for me, or did it embolden you? Did it give you more uh, conviction? No, from the time I was nine, I mad, I said, if I believe this, it's going to change everything I do, everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, from being crazy enough to go to Iran after September 11 to standing before kings. And so it, it Jesus being truth and Jesus being who he said he was and having resurrected from dead, then he, uh, you can't do anything but live a radical life for him. So when all this stuff came out, I had lived a life that was just basically, I had put all of my eggs in one basket. <laughs> and it's kind of like Peter, like I have nowhere else to go. Right, like I right. cannot walk away from you because of how the Christians are treating me, of how what Christians are saying, of all the accusations. Religious leaders, one of my best friends was Franklin Graham. <clears throat> and he turned on me and so I I really had nowhere else to go. Jesus was had been my everything since age nine. I my whole world. I was on on the road to becoming a medical doctor. It changed when I became a missionary, mm-hmm. and so I have I had nowhere else to go. And he did get me through. He uh, again, people don't like the ending, but I didn't survive. Is because the old me really died. And he, it's yes. like the Bible says, you're being renewed um by the transformation of your mind that the word of god sets you free and you become a new creation you become a new it's kind of like a butterfly being under this pressure or mm-hmm. caterpillar and becoming a butterfly that, yeah. that's the transformation it's like a lot of suffering puts us under this pressure that eventually you can fly and god uses it for his glory and for your good so yeah you know i'm i'm very thankful where i'm at i'm helping with address abuse in the church and helping women who are, who are going through abuse here locally in, in, in America, whether from church or in marriages. And I still work with the persecuted church. Uh, God is uh, moving in a mighty way. You know, Iran and China <clears throat> are good friends with each other. And God's using that connection to send Chinese missionaries to these close countries. We work with the Chinese Love it. Love Christians it. and God is doing amazing things in the Middle East in these last days. There's Afghanistan, there's so many coming to know Jesus. And so it's exciting to see countries that have not um, become, have not had a revival. We're seeing revivals and uh, people accepting Christ that countries that have been, uh, have not had that for 1400 years since Islam. And we're seeing that and it's exciting. It's It sounds exciting. Nagme Panahi uh, is my guest today here on The Bottom Line, uh, formerly married to Saeed Abedini, and uh, she's got an amazing testimony that she writes about, about her marriage, about her ministry, about coming to faith in Christ and growing stronger in faith in Christ in her brand new book called I Didn't Survive, Emerging Whole After Deception, Persecution, and Hidden Abuse. There's a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. I, I, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you, I mean, you mentioned where your situation is right now, personally, spiritually, and I think that's wonderful. How are your kids? doing with all of this um they're doing good their walk with god is amazing they have made it their own you kind of watch as they grow up to see if uh, they're yeah. gonna uh, definitely re- you know i can see fruit where they're walking walk with god as they've made it their own even when i travel they go to church on their own they nice. read their bible and really share with me profound things that they're learning from the bible and that's really exciting to see Jacob recently started a connection with his dad. And, Mm. you know, I'm thankful for that um, because he really, he's 15. He really has craved a connection, having a dad in his life. And so there's some things happening in his life with that connection. And, um, but I'm thankful they're doing great. 
Yeah. I love it. I love to hear that. And I'm, I'm grateful that you God's given you a piece in that uh, regard, not, you know, that all the wounds and scars have ever been completely healed or will be, but there's a healing process. And, mm -hmm. and uh, you can, I can certainly hear in your voice and see mm -hmm. in your eyes that, uh, that the Lord is, is there and guiding you and uh, pro providing that protection and comfort. I, I truly mm -hmm. admire your testimony and we're very grateful to have the time together today. Uh, Nagme, Panahi, I Didn't Survive is the name of the book. Emerging Whole After Deception, Persecution, and Hidden Abuse. It's a powerful book. I can't recommend it strongly enough. We've got a link for it up at the bottom our website there. And of course, if you are listening on terrestrial radio, go back to myhopenow.com and you can watch the video of this as well. Uh, Nagbe, thank you so much for your testimony, for encouraging us and inspiring us and exhorting us too. Uh, thank you for being mm -hmm. with us today here on The Bottom Line Show. Yeah, thanks for having me. More to come in just a moment as the bottom line continues. Special update from our friends at Preborn, especially here in the final month of the year. Good news is that the double matching gift is in place every day through the end of the month. That's the good news. The bad news is if you wait too long, you won't be able to take advantage of it. Now, Preborn has been offering qualitative health care for women who are in pregnancy mode for many, many years. And one of the specialties of Preborn, of course, is providing free ultrasounds for any woman who asks for one. When a woman comes to a Preborn clinic, she gets a pregnancy test, she gets an ultrasound, she gets to see those first baby pictures of her preborn child, and then is given the information about the options available to her, either become a mother, release that child for adoption, or yes, in states like California, where it's still legal, abortion is on the table as well. But 85 times out of 100, a woman who goes to preborn and sees the ultrasound winds up keeping the child or releasing the child for adoption. Your tax-deductible donation to preborn right now is doubled through the end of the year. So call 833-850-BABY today. 833-850-2229. A $28 donation provides one appointment. 140 provides five. 280 provides 10. And all of those numbers are doubled now through the end of the year. 833-850-2229 or give a gift online at kbrightradio.com. Welcome back to this special edition of The Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. My th special thanks to Nagme Panahi, who is uh, the former Nagme Abedini. She was married to Pastor Saeed Abedini for a number of years. They have a couple of children together. But it was once he was uh, arrested for his faith in Christ that we began to discover, and she began to discover, that she had been victimized by his abusive ways, verbal, emotional, physical. And um, it was by the time he was released from prison that she got the courage to step away from that marriage and now is has a thriving ministry but still has some wounds from that story as well she's written about her story in her book called i didn't survive meaning the old her the media her that uh, the world thought she was has been replaced by the real her who's got an even more powerful message to share than ever before i didn't survive emerging whole after deception persecution and hidden abuse by nagme abedini panahi We've got one copy to give away right now at 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800 the number to get you through to the bottom line. And remember, the video of this interview is up at myhopenow.com. For our KCBC audience, enjoy the rest of your afternoon. And Rabbi Schneider, Discovering the Jewish Jesus, is coming your way next. For those who remain on the network, it's this week's edition of the National Crawford Roundtable podcast with Bob and John and Neil and yours truly. Coming up next as the bottom line continues.